0: David runs a mixed farming operation with his wife Melissa and their two children near Tottenham. David is passionate about the merino industry and for the last 10 years, he's been choosing rams with above average sheep breeding values for fat and muscle, good growth rates, as well as considering other desirable traits such as breech cover and breech wrinkle. In this episode, David explains why actively selecting superior rams and retaining ewes with these desired traits has seen their lambing percentage double. You will also hear David talk openly about the journey to get where they are, their future plans and why he is comfortable with traits such as smaller framed ewes that are not as widely preferred across the industry. Local Land Services Senior Natural Resource Officer, Jasmine Wells, caught up with David in between jobs on the farm for a cuppa and this chat.
1: David,
2: can you give me a bit of a rundown on your enterprises? Bellevue, an aggregation of a couple of places. We're 20 kilometres north of Tottenham. We crop about 2,200 hectares of winter crop. And we've been controlled traffic for probably 12 to 15 years, I suppose. Starting to bring a bit of cultivation back into that to control windmill grass. We're doing the cropping and then we joined this year 4,200 merino ewes. Thousand of them joined to Border Esters, and the remainder joined to Merinos. The business is my mother and father, and my wife and I. Dad and I are the only two that work in the business, and we have one staff member that works with us. Although we could probably handle an extra one or two, <laughs> it's always too much to do. But we've been here since the fifties. My grandfather bought a, a, an unwanted soldier settler block, so I think. 3,500 acres of scrub when he bought it. So yeah, there's been a fair bit of expansion probably since 70s, improving that country and getting it up to the around about 13,000 acres now. So that's plenty to keep us busy, but never enough when you want to run more sheep.
1: So speaking of sheep, there's been some changes in your enterprises over the last
2: few years.
1: Talk about why and what you changed from.
2: We changed... Our sheep enterprise after the wet year of 2010, we noticed that the summer of 2010 11, dealing with fly strike issues, we were shearing 12 monthly back then. We shore in March, December, January, February. You've got sheep with eight, nine, 10 months of wool, sort of perfect environment with we a wet summer to get fly strike. So we went looking for sheep to combat that. We knew there were sheep about, there were people back then weren't mulesing, they had plain skin sheep. Went on a bit of a search for them. As a result, we ended up actually in South Australia looking and settled at Mumblebone at Wellington with our genetics back in 2012. I think we bought our first ram there that was looking to change the type of sheep purely based on skin wrinkle. Anyway, we did a bit of a trial and we discovered not only did we get plainer skins, we got faster growth. We got a whole lot of other things that we didn't expect in that first year. So then we went out and bought over a thousand ewes in the next year or 18 months. They came from a plain skin base, so they were either SRS or MPM base those ewes we bought. We ran side by side the old wrinklier genetics alongside the plain body genetics and differences were quite stark in, mostly in reproduction, but also in their ability to respond when times change. Fast forward 10 years, we're now a pure mumblebone flock. We've Doubled our lamb marking percentages to use joined, or very close to doubled. We were sort of 75% to use joined when now for last year we marked 143.5% to use joined in the mature ewes. That was the second year in a row we'd marked above 140%, coming straight out of the drought. So that made restocking pretty easy, and we've also dabbling in ewe lamb joining as well. We're getting reasonable results. There's a few things that are happening with the ULAM joining that just go against what people are saying uh, as far as what weight a U needs to be when she's joined. Saying that a U won't join until she gets to 45 kilos, I think is probably cutting, it certainly would cut us short if we were doing that. There's so much in there that we've still got to learn on that front.
1: What age are you aiming to get them to yeah. start joining?
2: So a ULAM joining occurs at the same time as our main joining. So oldest ewe lambs will be seven months when the rams go in. We operate a slightly staggered joining. Our joining period is over seven weeks, but the ewes only have rams with them for five weeks, if that makes sense. So we don't tease our grown ewes. The rams go straight into them generally in the first week of March or thereabouts. And we put teasers in our ewe lambs for the first two weeks of that joining period, that seven week joining period. On the third week of the seven weeks, we'll put half a percent of rams in with the ewe lambs to try and catch any of those early cycling ewes. Half of a cent's not, you know, it's certainly not a lot and I would put a lot more in, but you can't go out and buy 50 rams, not at the price that they're at at the minute. So we put the half a percent in, they're in there for the first three weeks. By that time, our main joining's finished after five weeks and we draft out all the rams out of the main joining and we put them in with the ewe lambs for the last two weeks of their five-week joining. They end up being joined just two weeks later than the main lot. We managed to get 70% of fetuses in the ewes last year and then they lambed down at about We managed to get 70% conception in the ewe lambs. So 70% of the ewes went in and of that 70%, we then marked 100% of lambs. So it was in the ewe lambs, 70% of lambs marked ewes joined. So they all
1: retained their lambs?
2: No, they retain at a lower rate than the grown ewes. They don't twin as high as the grown ewes, but we joined about 1,000 ewe lambs and we marked 700 lambs out of those ewe lambs so i think that was a pretty good first step the interesting thing is the live weight of what weight we should have joined them at i chose not to weigh a percentage of them before i put the rams in because my thought is in february march when we're putting these and we join in confinement too with the ewe lambs it's quite dry at the minute we're currently joining we've got no green tucker to grow those sheep on so we put them on the grain It costs us no more to feed a ewe lamb in confinement, whether you're joining her or not. The only cost is getting the rams in there. So the way we've staggered the joining, we're getting lambs as a bonus and it's costing us nothing in feed and it's costing us at the minute nothing more in rams. We're able to get a little bit more use out of those rams. You know, Ideally, I'd love a full team of rams to go with my ewe lambs and join them right from the start of a five week joining. Certainly think we'd get more lambs, but that's the best we can do at the minute.
1: What's your prep for those rams, making sure that they can hold out over the longer
2: it's really it's only seven weeks that they've got to work for back to ten years ago and we were joining for eight weeks. To answer your question on prepping them, they have access to a loop and self-feeder for six to eight weeks leading up to joining. We've been a bit concerned about Rams being a bit lazy, you know. ram paddock's not very big. Initially, we were setting the feeder up right beside the dam. Sort of lack of fitness effect concerned us a little bit early on. So now we not a very big paddock that they're in, but the grain feeders on one end of the paddock and the dam's on the other. And we force them to walk between water and food. You wouldn't want to run the wallabies out without doing some training. So these blokes have got to cover some ground and get busy every night. So you're feeding them lollies. So uh, yeah, you want to get the fitness into them a bit. So we force them to do a bit of walking. I don't know whether it helps, but it helps my head thinking about it. So the ewe lamb weights. We weighed our ewe lambs last year after they were scanned. I could see as we were feeding them into the preg scanner what was coming out in the three different ways. So, you know, the dries, singles and and twins. They were coming out in what looked to be very even lines. I thought there's going to be a difference in the weight of these sheep. I'll count 25% of every group and I'll weigh them all and I'll get myself an idea of the weight difference. The interesting thing was is that, yeah, the really light lambs ended up in the dries, but we also had really heavy lambs in the dries. That raises a few questions. You've got some of your heaviest weight sheep in the dries. Why didn't they go into lamb? And you've got these lighter ones that had a setback, probably late twin out of a maiden ewe or something like that. That just didn't quite have or the containment environment doesn't suit all animals. You're putting a bit of pressure on them doing that. But the interesting thing was that the overall average of those ewes when they were scanned in lamb was 43 kilos. I've heard people say that you shouldn't join a ewe lamb until she gets to 45 kilos. So I got 70% of ewe's in lamb at well under 45 kilos because I were carrying lambs and 45. The difference between the dries, singles and twins, there was only two kilos difference in average weight between those cohorts. I think the twins were maybe 44 average, the singles maybe 42 and it was... 40 or just above, there wasn't much difference. Yeah, it might have been 41 for the dries was the average. We had ewes that weighed 38 kilos at scanning and scanned to twins and raised at least one lamb. If I'd have put them all through the weigh crate prior to joining, I'd have probably joined, I'm guessing out of a 1,000, I might have joined 1 or 200 and... Some of those heavier ones might not have got in lamb because we certainly had plenty of dry ewes that didn't get in lamb. Was that the fact that they have a shorter heat and the rams miss them? Possibly. Is it just that they're the ones that are going to go dry as a a one-and-a-half-year-old? I don't know. We're not collecting enough data to sort of understand that just yet, but that's something I think we'll work on. I think you're selling yourself short, weighing ewes to a certain weight and then joining them because something... We've been seeing with the use of breeding values and Mumblebone are trying to do. They're using the fat and muscle breeding values. It's part of encouraging more fertile animal, and it also. I think I'm right in saying that a higher eye muscle depth breeding value can limit adult weight. We've actually got a U that, as a one and a half year old, a standard reference weight of about fifty five kilos. There's a bit of variation in that flock, but if you get a a standard reference rate ewe at 55 kilos, then you put twins inside her. She can be weighing 80 kilos or more come that pre-lambing shearing. I've heard some horror stories of blokes with 100 kilo ewes that won't go into lamb, and that's a pretty scary situation to be in because the maintenance requirements for 100 kilo dry ewe would would be phenomenal and then they're not going into lamb. So I'd much prefer to have a lighter ewe. We're aiming for that. A standard reference weight of around about that 60 kilo mark. And we're hoping that by the time they're two or three years of age, we're getting 90% of those ewes into twin and with a fast-growing lamb.
1: And so you wouldn't be concerned, like this talk of joining early can affect mature you weight. Yeah. You're not concerned about that?
2: It's a, probably a, a way that you can trick your system into having slightly lighter ewes. A ewe lamb is not going to go into lamb unless she's reached puberty. Like that's the body telling her that she's ready to reproduce. We had a slightly higher ewe mortality in the ewe lambs, but it wasn't significantly higher. So ewe mortality during lambing comes from difficult births. We're not having a massive amount of ewes being too small to get lambs out. We have limited the size. It was quite obvious when we classed the ewes as one-and-a-half-year-olds after they'd had lambs. You could see that the ewes that had lambs were slightly smaller. We've set back maybe their frame size, but it was interesting the mix of condition scores between the dries and the ewes that had lambed. There were some ewes that had lambed that were back in condition score three not long after weaning. They're obviously just going to be a more compact animal.
1: For those guys listening that have spent some decades looking for a bigger framed animal can you talk about why that's not one of your yes
2: i think that probably goes back to how your studs selecting their animals i've found that any stud that's selecting using breeding values probably doesn't have a lot of selection pressure on the size of the animal and certainly some of the best animals for figures that i try to purchase every year are the smaller animals in the sale And I think that's probably because the combination of figures that we're chasing creates a more robust, more compact animal. Now, if you're not using breeding values to select your animals, studs are doing this. They're picking those visually bigger animals. What they're doing is they're picking the fastest growing animals. They're probably going to be a single out of a mature ewe. It'll grow quick because I've had the best start. Mum's only had one lamb. She's had a heap of milk for the one lamb and they're growing and they're nice and big and then you end up with... And everyone says, well, you need these big animals they will have a lot of meat on them and, you know, so forth. You can get a more compact animal that will put on just as many grams per head per day as a really big one. It just costs you less to maintain the mother of that, you know, those more compact animals. It's a danger we're getting into trying to make an animal that is lots of wool and lots of size With shearer shortages, they don't want to be dragging out 100 kilo ewes. They don't want to be dragging out 80 kilo ewes. I hear a few complaints about the size of our ewes at our pre-lamming shearing. We shear five weeks prior to lambing and our twinning or our multiple ewes, they're big. But at the time, they've probably got eight to 10 kilos of lamb inside them, plus all the other, you know, the extras they've got with that lamb growing inside them. So if they're 80 kilos, they're probably in that 60 to 70 kilo range and we're trying to push them above condition score three so you're getting above your standard reference weight to begin with plus you've got lambs on top of that. So if we're getting complaints for those sort of ewes, you imagine if that ewe started as an 80 kilo ewe, she'd be well over 100 kilos with a couple of lambs inside her. It's a slippery slope, I think, chasing size alone. We don't select on size at all. I know when I'm classing sheep, whether they've been born a twin or born a single. I don't know whether they've been raised a twin or not. you have some loss, but you can work out from your lamb marking percentages. You know, if you're marking out of a twin mob that should have 200%, you're marking 175 or 180%. Let's say 180 is an easy one to figure out. Nine out of 10 ewes are raising two lambs at that percentage. So the following year when you're classing those, you can say with pretty good confidence, Most twins that you see would have had another person there or another lamb there competing for a feed source. So they're going to be a little bit smaller, but I don't mind. Breeding sheep really is a a numbers game. While Merino U numbers are short, we want as many numbers as we can. We can do that off a moderate-sized animal quite comfortably. I think it's a bit of a mindset. If You get away from that sort of show mentality of finding the biggest, fattest, shiniest Animal and getting back to an animal that actually can do the job on the farm. You yeah.
1: start talking about dollars per hectare. Yeah,
2: people are looking at those hand-raised animals in a you know in a show environment. It's not a reflection of what they'll do in the paddock. Yeah, you know, once you start bringing in breeding values, if you've got a fantastic ram and then he goes into a couple of sire evaluations and something goes wrong, the figures come back. There's nothing you can't hide from them. And studs that are involved in that, they know that you know, it's taken them forward. And we're, as a commercial producer, we're certainly getting the benefits of all that research and all that work that those studs that have, you know, have gone that way. Yeah, we're benefiting an enormous amount.
1: Let's talk twinning. What are your goals there for the
2: flock? Ideally, I'd like every you that gets joined to have twins. So last year, our main ewe scanned above 160% to use joined. Our mature ewes scanned mid to high 180s. We had less than 5% triplets and a very low number of, yeah, about 10 or 12% were single. You know, I probably couldn't have asked for much better than that. What I'd like to do is bring a few of those triplets back and push a few of the singles up into the twins. Maybe if I divided my ewes up pre-joining and was able, had the time to condition score every single animal, you might be able to get those lower condition score animals up out of the singles, you know, into the twins. Triplets are a new thing to us. We managed, we marked a bit over 200% in our triplets. I don't think that's too bad according to, I don't know, there's not many people doing it, but from what I hear, I don't think that's too bad. I think we could do it a little bit better. There's a few complicating factors, more extensive environment for managing triplets. It's probably a lot easier on improved pasture country, and yeah, and mob sizes. Like our ewes are being joined as one mob at the minute. We're joining about 3,000 merino ewes all in the one mob, and they'll stay in that mob until scanning, and then they get scanned, and then they'll they'll get divvied up, and then you end up with little mobs of five or six triplets. They go crazy, it really upsets them. We found our best lambing percentages in the triplets was at around about 10 sheep in a mob, and I found that they were the only mob that i really kept an eye on i put them in a paddock that was strategically close to the main road so that i could drive past them and look at them and we had a mob of six and then we had a mob of eight and then we had a couple of mobs of 10 and then we had a mob of 20. 20 was too big. It's too much confusion, I think, in a mob that big. That was in a very good stand of saltbush. So I never saw those used from the time I put them in to the time I mustered them out. That's pretty handy for that. But I just think that they hang together. And yeah, when there's three lambs drop on the ground and then 10 metres away, there's another three lambs and there's a lot of noise. And I think that was, you know, that caused the issue. But the mob of six, you couldn't get within 200 metres of them. They were just frightened. They were really flighty because they didn't have that. The safety of a mob, they felt like they were being hunted the whole time and the lamb marking percentage out of that little mob showed that they just ran away, whereas the you got to 10 and even driving in to, to muster them for lamb marking, it was very obvious there's more an optimum mob size than smaller is better. I think you put sheep that are used to being in mobs of 1,000 and you take bring them down to mobs of two or three to lamb, you're asking for disaster. They're not used to it and they're not used to being alone so we've got to find a yeah that's right there I yeah you know I haven't come up with a plan but there's no one in the in this more extensive country doing triplets yet so we're just feeling our way on the twin front we've lambed in reasonable size mobs we do try here at Tottenham we try to keep mob sizes down to below two hundred but I try to pre-lamming I work out total numbers of DSCs and try and allocate the Same amount of DSEs per paddock, regardless of whether they're a twin or a single. So, if obviously there's more DSEs tied up in a twinning ewe than there is in a single ewe, so you put less sheep into a particular paddock. What I've also found is the type of paddock. We've got about five years of data of, of lamb marking percentages coming out of specific paddocks, and we're finding that the more shelter you provide lambing ewes with, the higher the percentages are. Now, there's a difference between shade and shelter. So people, you yeah, are imagining a paddock full of, say, eucalypt or scattered eucalypt or scattered currajong, it's very good for shade, but there's no, there's no shelter. There's nowhere for an animal to hide. Our best paddocks are Gilgai country with lignum that's grown around the Gilgai. So that, that's Gilgai country that's never been cropped or anything like that. We're getting good uh, lambing results there because a ewe can get down the bottom of a guy or hide behind a lignum bush, think she's protected, she's got a bit of privacy. The other country that's really good is wilga country. So quite a bit of our uncleared country's got the eucalypt with the wilga tree growing underneath it. They'll get in underneath there and they'll lamb in that shelter. And that was one of those paddocks we marked our, our highest percentage last year or the year before in the twins we, we marked 185 percent of lambs that's pretty good you're getting more than nine out of 10 years bringing two lambs to lamb marking so I don't think you can do a hell of a lot better than that considering we're marking 95 percent in the singles you're still getting that five percent loss even in a single environment it'd it's be
1: interesting to see if there's been much study into this. I know there's some coming out of WA because it just makes sense, doesn't it? Like, where would you rather be?
2: It's probably my only criticism of lambing research is that most of it's done in higher rainfall, high stocking rate country. We've run sheep throughout the drought and coming out of the drought, we've run sheep on adjustment places from high rainfall, 650, 700 mil rainfall at Cooler out to the east of Wilcannia, which I think is probably 250 mil or something like that. And what we found is uh, trying to run optimum mob sizes for twins, it doesn't work in the Western country. We lambed our twins down in two mobs. We did everything wrong out there. Two big mobs of 400 ewes. We still marked 175% of lambs out of those mobs, but they're in eight or 9,000 acre paddocks. We also ran ewe hoggets with them as well, you know, that's supposed to create a distraction, you know, having other ewes in there that aren't lambing and all of that sort of stuff. But there's just not the research being done in those areas. And, you know, I can understand, I know when we first, when people said to us, you know, try to get your twinning mobs down to, you know, between 50 and 200. In a more improved country where there isn't that shelter, certainly mob size is, is, plays a big factor because They're stacked in pretty tight and the more lambs you've got got arriving at the one time, creates confusion. In the more pastoral environments, you've got a lot more country to spread out on and what we found further west, the Wilcannia country, red sandhill country, I went out there a couple of times through lambing and we were finding the mob will congregate on top of the sandhill overnight and that's where the lambing will take place. And by 9 o'clock in the morning, it just take me four hours to drive out there, yeah. by about 9 o'clock I'd get into the paddock and I'd, you know, you check which way the wind's blowing and you'd find the sheep and you'd find these ewes with young lambs sitting on top of the sandhill and then two valleys over would be the mob that has moved away in the morning feeding and that just gave that separation. They could only be one or 200 metres away. There's a sandhill in between where they've lambed and where the mob has now moved to and they've got that time to bond. And that was something that I never expected out there. I thought we're gonna have real problems with big mobs, but it just seems to work a bit differently in that country. There's really good shelter out there. They can get the separation if they need to. And I'm not aware of any research being done in that country. We made it work out there separating twins and singles, and you really need to be scanning. You really need to be shortening up your joining period and separating your twins and singles and managing them differently regardless of what environment you're in.
1: And so are you culling with the intention of having twinning ewes only?
2: We cull it two times of the year we cull it at scanning so anything that doesn't scan in goes out now that's a pretty low percentage last scanning we had 80 ewes that scanned dry of the grown ewes there's so many factors you know those ewes might have been a little bit underdone leading in or You don't know, they might have had another health setback. I don't want to take any passengers through. So we we just, and we've got such low numbers, like if we were getting hundreds of dry sheep, you might rethink your approach. But yeah, we've been down this path for 10 years or more. And if I had my time again, originally we were keeping scan dry first time. If I had my time over, I wouldn't have wasted my time because they scan dry the second time. Well, most of them do, the sooner you can get them out, the better. Anecdotally, I think they're probably coming out of those ewes that might have got in lamb every second year. So they'll get in one year and they won't get in the next year. And once we got them out of the system, we're, we're down to less than 1% or 2% of dryers coming out of scanning. And then we go through at landmarking marking and we wet and dry while we're lamb marking and any ewe that lambs and loses a lamb, she goes as well. Some people might say that's not fair because there might be you know, might be something, but if it's a genetic defect that she's throwing into the lamb that's caused it to die, well, you probably don't want her to do that all over again next year. Or is it that she got startled by a fox or a pig or something like that and she ran away from a lamb and that's why she's dry? Well, you want an animal that's going to look after its progeny but by far the biggest thing we're culling sheep on now is for udder defects. It's from cut teats as a ewe lamb and our shearing team have been very good since we pointed it out to them. The shearers are onto it and we check every ewes udder after shearing. We've just put four or 5,000 ewes through in January and there wasn't a single one with a cut teat. So we're getting on top of that. Now we're just working on getting the older ones that may end up with a bit of mastitis and things like that. You can't afford a you to have two lambs but only have one viable side of the udder? You know, she, she's got to have both sides working. It's hard to pick up at landmarking. You can pick up wets versus dries, or the big udder defects. You know, one side's produced milk and the other one hasn't. You can pick them up at landmarking, but it's very difficult to pick up mastitis until a bit later on. I find because the udders are, are so full still at landmarking there, there's Yeah, it's just a bit hard to see, but once they've dried up after weaning, when you put your hand on the udder, you can feel, you know, a hard lump. We're working pretty hard on that to try and keep those users as fit as we can in the breeding group, you know, so they've got every chance of rearing two or three lambs.
1: And thoughts on electronic tags, how long until you're there?
2: So we've got a repeat buyer for our first cross ewes, and he's requested that he wants electronic tags in his sheep, so we're buying them and putting them in for him. We're not doing it ourselves yet. The thing with technology in the sheep game is that you've got to be careful in a commercial enterprise. It doesn't create more work and it doesn't create, you know, flow on into a benefit for you. I notch the ears of my years when they've been scanned. So I know which ewes have single, twin or triplet just by a notch in her ear, but it'd be impossible to tell in a commercial sense you know, how many lambs she raises. But by her still being in the flock, it's an indication she's raised at least one or in the twins, you know, what her mob has raised. So what I think we will do if we do go down the electronic tagging path is, is we'll then be able to condition score use and allocate a condition score and a body weight and I think we'll then be able to work out standard reference weights for every individual ew and I reckon we'll be able to get the software to run them through an auto drafter and draft off any of the ewes that are lighter than their standard reference weight any of them that are maybe average or at their standard reference weight and any of them that are heavier. And that will probably help us allocate feed post weaning and through to joining to try and catch those ewes up that are a bit under condition. With the tag, we'll also be able to record how they scanned. So we'll know know, what their body weight was at different times through the year. And that's probably the, the biggest benefit initially for us. I'm just a bit nervous about fleece weighing, not just getting it right and getting, getting it done right in the shed. It's a bit of a logistical challenge. You know, we had a shearer here this year that shore 250 sheep a day. Trying to keep the wool away from him, and, you know, and there was another guy doing 200 as well in a four stand shed, and the other blokes are doing 150 or better. There's a lot of wool coming at the wool table to try and get an accurate measurement. There might be something that that you get wrong. I'm not saying we won't do it, but it's something that we'll probably do last. I think we'll probably do the The stuff I can do outside of the shed, the body weighing, the condition scoring, the recording their scanning onto an electronic tag. We're joining more ewes than we've got the room to lamb down. And if we can't find adjustment space for those ewes, then we'll have to sell some. So then how do you make the decision on which ewes you sell? Do you just sell all your singles? But I'm thinking we'll need to sell more than just the singles. So then you say, well, how do you decide which one of those twin-bearing ewes you sell as well to get your numbers back into line?
1: So given how hard you have culled
2: over the last few years? We've probably got twelve to 1,500 that we've got to find space for somewhere. I'd love to be able to find paddocks to put them in. It's pretty exciting when you're marking 140%. Last year we joined a bit over 3,000 grown ewes. I did some forward projecting and it was only four or five years before we'll be joining over ten thousand years that's their fictitious numbers we've not got enough land to, to do that but that just means that that surplus has got to come onto the market so they should be structurally excellent because if i've got to take out 25 or 30 percent of my breeders even the slightest thing wrong with the toenail is going to have to go I don't class myself as a wool producer. We're a Merino U producer or First Cross U producer because that's where our big money comes from in the sale of lambs or sale of it's selling sheep. Probably 10 or 12 years ago, our wool income was made up 50% of our total livestock turnover or yeah, or profit was 50% wool, 50% sheep sales, surplus sheep sales. Last year, I think the wool is back to about 25% and we're making 75% out of surplus sheep. So we're still cutting the same amount. We're cutting more bales of wool, got a lot more sheep. I don't think our sheep have reduced in wool cut. I worked out clean kilos. We're cutting about two or 4.3 kilos clean. People can work that out depending on what their yields are. At Wilcannia where we've shorn with 48% yield and at Coolar at 70% and we're shearing twice a year. That's another thing that's really working for us. Just seems to keep the sheep in better, Nick. Sheep just do better off the board. People have seen that anecdotally forever. So you give them two chances at doing better off the board. We try and time that to work in with lambing and work in with the fly waves so we don't get as much fly. We still get the fly waves that everyone else does. But yeah, they don't seem to be as big of an issue with the planar skin sheep. We take a pretty hard and fast approach on that too. Any sheep that's been struck through a structural fault as a result of having skin wrinkle, doesn't get joined again to a merino. You know, we try and take them out of the equation, like chasing fly sheep is a big issue. I do 90% of the sheep workers, I do myself. So certainly everything that's done through the yards, you know, whether that be drenching or vaccinating or drafting, it's all done with one person. We've had a pretty horrid summer just gone. It's hard, yakka, Everyone's, you know, been in the same boat. But, yeah, if you can get that back to minimal in an average season, it frees up time to do other things. Absolutely.
1: And I think that's, that's probably something we could do another whole podcast
2: on. Thank you so much for your time. No worries, Jasmine. Yeah, no, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now hey and while you're there please leave us a five-star review it really helps other farmers find the show i'm your host Narily brennan and i'll chat to you next time